You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 500 of this podcast. Today is Thursday, November 17th, 2022. And as per my tendency, as per tradition on the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show, with this being a nice round number, a 100 series episode, we're going to be talking In this episode, about the last hundred episodes. So a recap of sorts, highlights, lowlights, what have we learned, what has changed perhaps since episode 400, and what has not changed, what has stayed relatively the same and static, and also what am I going to be taking with me, more to the point, into the next hundred episodes, Lord willing, we live and do this or that, Lord willing, we get to 600 episodes in the next six months or so. But before we get into that and the deep dive analysis into which episodes were most popular, which ones were least popular, and what the difference was, I think, perhaps speculatively, let's also speculate about what's going on in the wider world a little bit, shall we? (laughs) Uh, Since the last episode that I recorded, some big things have happened For one, we almost had World War III when a missile landed in Poland that was initially thought to be fired by the Russians. So the Russians fire this missile. They're trying to take out positions in Ukraine, and a missile goes awry, lands in a farm in Poland, which is next door to Ukraine, kills two people. What are we going to do now, right? What are we going to do now? This is an attack on Polish NATO soil, perhaps, possibly. And if it is, then there's got to be a response from NATO. Estonia was all worked up. They tweeted out something about how they were ready to defend every last square inch of NATO soil. And everybody was on pins and needles, waiting on bated breath to find out what is the response going to be, what actually just happened. Well, the official outcome, after some deliberation, probably a lot of very tense rapid-fire phone calls and emails and what have you, the official narrative is that it was not the Russians. It was the Ukrainians, and it was perhaps a Russian missile, but it was the Ukrainians. And that could just be a face-saving measure, a way of saying We're not going to retaliate because we don't want to retaliate because the stakes are too high. Any way you slice it, once that becomes the official narrative, NATO has given up any pretext for attacking or responding or retaliating officially directly against Russia, at least this time around, at least least in this case. Well, so also it's interesting When you take a look at the midterm elections here in the U.S., we've seen a lot of projections turn into sound and fury, signifying nothing. A tale told by an idiot. As Macbeth once said of life, it is a tale told by an idiot. 
full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. We've seen projections that Republicans were going to retake the House and maybe even the Senate in a big way, sweep governorships uh, across the U.S. We've seen those projections really fizzle and wither on the vine and not turn into much of anything. But the curious thing is, too, we've seen recurrences of the irregularities, we'll call them that, irregularities from the 2020 election. Now, I did a debate after the 2020 election with my cousin Marshall Mullet, web developer, uh, also the one responsible for putting together the website and hosting the website for On The Rocks blog. I did a debate with him after 2020, turned out the way that it did, where he basically argued for nothing to see here, and I argued uh, there surely must be something to see here because there's a lot of irregularities and the safeties were bypassed. And what do you expect is going to happen when the safeties are bypassed and there's as much emotion as there is about Trump being the president or Trump not being the president? Not so much excitement and enthusiasm about Joe Biden becoming president or not, but excitement about Joe Biden uh, being the alternative to Trump, right? Everything centered on Trump or no Trump in the 2020 election. Some people just absolutely could not bear the thought of Trump being president another four years. And so you combine those people with a scenario in which the safeties are bypassed coast to coast due to COVID supposedly. Very conveniently, I think COVID was unleashed for that express purpose to be able to bypass safeties left and right and hack uh, all of our institutions. But I debated this with my cousin Marshall, and I find myself remembering that debate and thinking to myself that the folks who take my cousin Marshall's view, the establishment view, the everything is fine, this is fine, uh, nothing to see here, folks, let's just move along, don't question the integrity of our elections, uh, those folks remind me a lot of uh, what I think could have happened with, with the missile being fired into Poland, uh, you know, even if it was the Russians, right? We don't want it to be the Russians because if it's the Russians, then we have to have a certain response. And we're not prepared to muster up the energy and the fighting spirit and, and really pay the cost, essentially, if that's what it is. So we're just going to head this off at the pass and we're going to control the narrative by controlling what's upstream of that cause and effect relationship. And we do this all the time in the kind of work that I do. I do controls programming. And that is how you bypass a bit of logic in the code is you just change and toggle one little bit that controls whether that line gets read. You know, if this bit is true, then these other bits get read, and then this valve closes, and then this sends out an alarm, and then this opens up, and then this turns on, or this turns off, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And when you don't want that sequence of events to happen, you try and get the most upstream bit that controls and activates that logic that you possibly can. And then if you toggle that, if you can control that bit, you control the rest of the logic that's downstream. And I think this is where the folks who are pointing to election irregularities in 2022 
because we are seeing them again. We're seeing them in Arizona, for instance, with regards to machine uh, glitches on election day in the same places that we were having technical difficulties in 2020. We're seeing cameras going dark in some polling places for eight hours. And then all of a sudden when the cameras come back on, you know, the, the Democrat candidate just so happens to be ahead comfortably. We're seeing it left and right. And I, and when I mean that, I mean left and right. It's a, it takes two to tango sort of a scenario when the folks on both sides of the equation are content for this or that bit to be toggled off that's going to cause a certain sequence of logic to be read. And the troubling thing, the concerning thing, the disturbing thing is once that's known by folks who are unscrupulous that there is no will to fight, there is no will to allow a certain sequence of logic to be read because we're not willing to fight, well then they have our number. They have exactly what it takes to win every time in a certain sense unless there's divine intervention. And that's where a lot of my friends and my family who have a very bleak outlook right now, and they have since 2020, a lot of my friends are looking at that dynamic in our context. And they're saying, the folks who are willing to fight are exactly the folks who the system has rigged elections against or the electoral process against. The media lies through their teeth, left and right, all day long, like it's breathing. Uh, they lie about the candidates who are willing to fight against this because the status quo is the bit of logic upstream that has been forced into a good state so that the string of logic after it doesn't get read. What changes that? And if nothing changes that, then we are on a collision course with an ugly reality all of the bad things that that logic is supposed to protect us from when it gets read and when there's the deterrent uh, threat of that logic being read. If you do this, then these things are going to happen to you, peace through strength. If that logic's not being read, well, then we're going to get all the consequences. And I say, yes, that's true. And I, I feel like the folks who I know, my friends and family who are, are being very fatalistic right now. You know, they, they, I have basically two kinds of friends and family. I have <laughs> the establishment types who say, everything's fine. I don't have very many of those because I typically am not close friends with them. I, I typically uh, don't respect, quite frankly, I don't have a high regard for what I take to be a, a kind of selling out. You are part of the problem. If you're part of the establishment that wants nothing so much as the status quo to be maintained, Given the circumstances, even if that means abortion being codified, even if that means gay marriage being enshrined, like with uh, a dozen or so Republican senators voting along with the Democrats to codify the uh, Obergefell decision, Supreme Court decision, in case the Supreme Court decides to overturn their Supreme Court decision, the folks who are for the status quo now have a status quo that is bad. Right. So they're conservative in a fashion after a sense, but I would liken them to an alternative universe, Edmund Burke, who would have looked, let's say, for instance, at the abuses of the colonial administration in India when those came to light 
and would have said, uh, well, okay, how long has that been going on? Oh, okay. Well, it's been going on for a few years now, six years, seven years. Um, let's just not rock the boat. Let's not do anything with it. Okay. So these people, they've made a lot of money. Now they're very powerful. Now they've got really good connections. And, uh, you know, it just so happens I happen to be friends with some of them or some of their friends are my friends. And I, you know, let's conserve the status quo, even if it means leaving these corrupt abusers of mankind in their positions unaccountable, right? This is just what it is now. This is, this is going to become the pattern. Yes, it's awful in a sense, but that's just life and that's just the way that it is. And you hear those kinds of arguments being made as well on both sides, both the establishment types and the uh, you know, anti-establishment types that are, are wanting to undo some of this corruption. You're hearing that kind of argument. Well, that's just the way that it is. Yeah, but that, that doesn't mean that that's right, right? It's That's just the way that it is. It's not a good argument for this being good and true and right and leading to a good outcome. So I do have the friends who make those kinds of arguments, or I have acquaintances, maybe I should say. Maybe that's more accurate. I have acquaintances I know, friends and family I know, who are the establishment types, who are very comfortable, and they have benefited. They've profited off of not making waves, off of endorsing and affirming and going along with what the community is perceived to want. They've done well, right? They've done well in business. They've done socially well. They've done well in their extended family. They just are friends with everybody all the time. And the logic that gets read that would lead to conflict and upsetting their comfortable status quo, that just gets toggled into a good state all the time. And then I've got these other friends who are saying, we can never be in actually a good state. You can toggle the logic (laughs) you want in the thing that would set in motion the safety shutdown or the, the consequences from a conflict standpoint. You can toggle that in the controller to where we just ignore the actual state. But you can only do that for so long and then disaster right? Then consequences, regardless whether we're willing to have conflict, the consequences, the natural consequences of these bad decisions are going to find us out. We will reap what we sow. That is a entirely, thoroughly, 100% biblical promise from God that we will reap what we sow. God is not mocked. He is slow to anger, but he's not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. But I've got these friends that are very pessimistic and they look at that fact And they say, all right, a man reaps what he sows, we're going to reap destruction. And I say, no, not necessarily. Maybe, but not necessarily. Here's the thing. Pain is a teacher. And one would think, paying attention, that we are experiencing pain right now, and a lot of us are not getting the lesson. (laughs) A lot of us are not (laughs) receiving the instruction. And I think a lot of the reason for that is, It's not enough pain for enough of the people who are very comfortable. And one of the things I think that you're going to see, you know, before there's even a shot at revival and restoration is you're going to see the folks who were willing to, who were willing to stay the course, who are willing to maintain the status quo, who were very content and insistent that certain bits of logic are always toggled into a good state, regardless their actual condition, regardless what the input should be reading from the instrument that's out there to protect your vessel, your 
piping, your environment, your personnel, the folks who are insistent on maintaining that good state as read by the controller so that the sequence of events doesn't shut the thing down and upset their gig, they're going to be forced increasingly to make a decision as things get worse and worse. On the one hand, do they decide, hey, you know what? Too rich for my blood. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? I'm not okay with the consequences that I'm seeing other people facing. Or, on the other hand, there will be increasingly far-fetched rationalizations of other people feeling pain. I don't get to feel that pain, but that's because I'm smart. That's because I'm wise. That's because I know what's up. That's because I'm on the right side of this scenario. And these other fools made trouble for themselves. I knew this was going to happen. I knew that that was going to be their outcome. They brought this on themselves. And then I think you're also going to have a third kind, actually. You're going to have a a third kind of person who, as the consequences would be kicking in, as the pain would be kicking in, because their conscience is increasingly seared and because they maintain that commitment to themselves prospering, themselves doing well, they're going to be willing to go to increasingly drastic lengths to remove obstacles to their own continued enrichment, their own continued empowerment, their own continued comfort. And see, that's where I think the folks that I know who are being pessimistic are looking and they're saying, ah, yeah, but Garrett, don't you see? The awful folk are ascendant, the wicked are ascendant, and they're going to do wicked things, increasingly wicked things, increasingly evil and corrupt And murderous things, murdering people's reputations, murdering people's businesses, murdering people's, you know, physical lives, right? Like they're going to literally murder people who get in the way. And they're going to increasingly do it brazenly, openly for all to see without any concern, without any care, without any fear of repercussions. See, that's destruction. I say it is with a lowercase, right? Lowercase destruction. Uppercase destruction, Christians don't have to worry about. And, and I say that because that is what Jesus tells us. Don't fear man who can only kill the body and then has nothing more he can do to you. Fear God who can kill the body and throw the soul into hell. We look at the potential for small d, lowercase d, destruction, and it's, it's a very real dynamic. It's a very real problem. And I would say we are headed for that kind of destruction, a lowercase d destruction, period. No two ways about it. We're, we're seeing it. We've been seeing it for two years. We've been seeing it for over two years. I mean, we it, it didn't wait. Let's put it this way. It didn't wait until the 2020 election. It was already in motion before the 2020 election, and that's why the 2020 election went the way that it did. The Black Lives Matter riots, the Antifa riots, people being assaulted in public, if they were wearing paraphernalia that matched them with a certain political party, people being assaulted in public, if they were just the wrong skin color. And I don't mean black people being assaulted in public. I mean white people being assaulted in public because CRT was getting in the minds of people of color and giving them an excuse, giving them a reason to think that it was somehow valid and justified that they would just knock out some stranger who was in their way or who was vulnerable. 
to get their bit of justice, right? Their little bit of justice against the other race. But see, that lowercase destruction that's already been in full swing the past two years, destroying wealth, destroying reputations, destroying peace and harmony, destroying the comfort of decent folk and God-fearing folk, that lowercase destruction should have been enough to teach a great many people, but it wasn't, but it isn't. And that lowercase destruction, I think, is going to continue apace for at least a couple more years. And there's no magic formula that I can point to and say, ah, okay, 2024 is when the cutoff is. See, like here's this timer, right? When this timer gets to zero, then it's over and things will go into a, an actually true state, right? The, I don't know, right? I, all these political commentators who are saying it's going to be this, it's going to be that, and here's what I think it's going to turn into in 2024, they don't know. They don't know. And the predictions being so horribly awry compared with reality in 2022, that should be sobering. That should be something that gives us pause both when it comes to having an overly rosy view, oh, things are just going to get better and better, or having an overly fatalistic view. Things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse, and then the end comes for all of us. Once and finally for all, we should have some humility in recognizing that we don't know. We know that generally speaking, there's a relationship between cause and effect here. We know that there's a relationship between what we sow and what we are going to reap as a people. But then we also know, and this is a bit of a glimmer of hope that we have to hold on to, or else we we are headed for capital D destruction. The whole reaping and sowing dynamic is not just true when it comes to the macro, and it's not just true when it comes to sin and folly. It's also true when it comes to wisdom and righteousness. Do not grow weary in doing what is good, we're told. If we don't give up, then we will reap a reward in due season, we're told. So I'm optimistic, actually. I'm not optimistic that we avoid lowercase d destruction because we're clearly experiencing right now and there's nothing that's going to stop it. Republicans, even if they have the slimmest majority in the House, they're not going to stop it. They might slow it down a little bit, but not enough and not in all the right places, not anytime soon. The Democrats are definitely not going to stop it or slow it down. We are going to see more destruction, or we are going to see more pain, but God is good nevertheless. And I think at a certain point, given that this is not sustainable and that it is not actually in a good state, but we've toggled it, we've forced it, or the establishment types have forced it in their own minds to read what they wanted to read so they can keep producing, so they can keep getting wealthy, so they can keep living it up, so they can keep being spoken well of by men. The establishment types at a certain point won't be able to maintain it. And then at a societal level, when it comes to the American culture, the American nation, the American civilization, it might be uppercase D, destruction. Or it could be that there is a openness to being called to repentance. And that's what we should be calling for, regardless what the answer is. Regardless whether there is actually repentance Our responsibility as Christians is to call for that repentance. You know, it's interesting. Last night, I was 
teaching middle school youth group or leading discussion or however you want to phrase it. And we were going through Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, I was pointing out to the kids, actually begins with what is said of Saul of Tarsus right after the stoning of Stephen. Stephen being this young man who loves the Lord, who is bold in his preaching and his speaking, telling people about the Messiah. Stephen is a godly man. He performs signs and wonders by the power of God. He's a huge encouragement in the early church, and he upsets a certain demographic who doesn't want anyone talking about this Jesus character. And Saul is one of those, initially, who doesn't want anybody talking about this Jesus character because Saul is convinced we have to maintain purity and protect purity of devotion to God from threats, threats from pagan Greeks and pagan Romans and weird cults that are going to lead God's people, the Jews, away from true religion, true worship of the Most High God. That's how we got into this mess. That's how we were given over to our enemies. And so if we're going to be not given over to our enemies, we've got to cleanse our community. We've got to cleanse our race, if you will, our people from any kind of idolatrous impurity. And then we get the restoration, right? Then God brings us back into a state of being independent and self-governed and a light to the nations. But as I pointed out again to the kids, I said, Saul becomes Paul. I mean, who wrote more books of the New Testament than anyone? It was Paul. And yet here at this point, at this stage, you have no way of predicting that. You have no way of expecting that he's going to go on to write the bulk of the New Testament. At this point in the story, he's going into people's homes, into Christians' homes in the early church, and dragging men and women out who are Christians so they can be thrown in prison. At this point in the story, he is making known his approval of the stoning of Stephen because the ends justify the means, because this is part of how we're going to make sure that the fear of the Lord is on the whole community with regards to any kind of false religion. And yet what we can't predict and what we don't have control of is the miracle that God works to change Saul into Paul. We can't predict that. We don't have any control over that. If you're somebody like Ananias and God speaks to you in your own home and says, Saul is going to be at such and such an address. Go there. Pray for him. I have plans to use him, to put him to a good purpose. If you're Ananias, the good Ananias, not the bad Ananias, you go because God is going to work some mighty wonder in the heart first of this persecutor of the church and change him fundamentally and open up his eyes, not just in the sense of the scales being on his eyes, but open up his eyes spiritually that he might see, open up his ears spiritually that he might hear and understand and turn and repent and be saved. And so also all of those who will hear his preaching, all of those who will read the scriptures that God inspired him to write. See, those are the kinds of things we ought to be praying for and expecting that God will be working somewhere, somehow, to his good pleasure 
in his good timing, even if it's just in our individual lives. You know, what happened with the dispersion, right? The, the dispersion of the Jews as God gave both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom into the hands of their enemies for destruction, for judgment. There was a dispersion. But it wasn't just when there was sin on the part of God's people. Also in the case of Stephen being stoned, one of the effects of that, plus Saul of Tarsus going into homes and dragging men and women out, throwing them in prison, one of the effects is that the church, the Christians in Jerusalem, go out into Samaria and Judea. They spread out, and so also when they spread out, the gospel goes with them. If we have too narrow a definition of what success looks like or what our hope ought to be, then we're not going to expect that. We will despair. We will grow weary in doing what is good. On the other hand, it could be that maybe God brings national revival. I would hope that, and I'm not necessarily saying I'm holding my breath, but I'm calling for that, and we should. Now, we should do that in a couple of ways. One, we should be calling our individual neighbors to be reasonable. We should let our light so shine before them that they might see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. We should be testifying to the truth in word and in deed. We should be gracious. We should be gentle and respectful, even as we are preparing ourselves continually to give a reasoned defense, a reason for the hope that lies within us. But also, if we have a platform, if we have an opportunity, if we have some authority, a position, from which to speak, we should be testifying to God's goodness and not being false, not flattering, not affirming wickedness, not going along with the wicked, not turning a blind eye to corruption. We will reap what we sow for good or for ill. And it's important to remember both sides that if we've been reaping benefits, but at the expense of our soul, at the expense of God's pleasure with us, we should not suppose we are only going to reap benefits, we will also reap negative consequences, pain. If we have been reaping negative consequences because we weren't willing to go along with the wicked, we should not despair and suppose that we will only reap negative consequences. This is just what it is. When you give, when you pray, Jesus says do it in secret so your Father in heaven will see it and reward you. That's got to be enough. That's got to be enough. Moving on. This is episode 500. Besides Trump running for office a third time, which we're going to have to talk about. Of course, we're going to have to talk about it quite a lot over the next couple of years, supposing he doesn't get uh, assassinated or something crazy like that. We're not going to get into that in this episode. We're not going to get into how I think it would be better for us all (laughs) if DeSantis was the guy. Uh, We're not going to get into whether I would vote for Trump if he is the candidate, if he is the nominee, which I will. Uh, But I want to talk about the last 100 episodes. So episode 400 was actually May 29th, five and a half months ago. And I've done this uh, a couple times now, you know, episode 100, 200, 300, 400, four times. Now we're on episode 500. I, I go back through and I look at what were the most popular episodes? What were the least popular episodes? What's changed? What's stayed the same? And so what I've done here this time around is I've picked the top 10 episodes, the top 10% out of 100 in terms of number of listens, number of plays. 
And I've also taken the bottom 10 with the least number of listens, and I'm comparing them. So I'll list these off, uh, starting with the lowlights. Let's go with the ones that were kind of duds a little bit. These have an average published date of October 16th, which is not super surprising, uh, honestly. It's been the case since I started paying attention to these things that the episodes I record more recently typically are not getting as much play, uh, you know, until they've been out there for a while. So it's not just the day of or the week of that episodes are getting listened to. It's over the course of months that that play counter ticks up and up and up. So the longer it's out there, logically, the more time people have to listen to those episodes and the more plays overall they get, the more recent episodes, they've not been out there as long. And logically, even if it's been a few weeks, they don't get as much play. So that's part of what's going on here with the average, uh, you know, published date for these bottom 10 being October 16th, literally in the last month, you know, from yesterday. Yesterday was the 16th. Today's the 17th. October 16th was a month ago. The average length here is one hour, one minute for this bottom 10%. And uh, actually, I, I would say in no particular order, but there, there is a particular order. I sorted these from least number of plays to most in the bottom 10%. Uh, Bannockburn, Neighbor Dogs, and SPLC polling on political assassination. SPLC, if you'll remember, is Southern Poverty Law Center. That episode was the least popular or least uh, listened to episode in the last hundred. Fun fact. Uh, and it it actually is the one that breaks the trend in terms of you know being published more recently. Everything else actually on the list of least listened to was published in the last two or three weeks with the exception of one or two. Uh, so that is to say seven out of the ten were published in the last couple of weeks. And it's not surprising that they made it into the bottom 10. This one was actually published June 11th. And it just, it didn't get a lot of play. For whatever reason, you know, Bannockburn is not something that maybe a lot of people are familiar with or recognize immediately. If you like the movie Braveheart, if you've read much Scottish history, you know the Battle of Bannockburn was a major Scottish battle in, you know, the perennial wars between Scotland and England, but not a lot of people necessarily know that. So that didn't necessarily grab them or pull them in, even if they did know it. Neighbor dogs, oh, what's Garrett talking about? His neighbor's dogs for anyways. SPLC, I don't know what the SPLC is. I should have said Southern Poverty Law Center, or maybe I should have led with political assassination because that's definitely interesting, but those are the last two lines. So it could be on me, just how I titled it, that, uh, it wasn't listened to quite a lot. But then next in the least popular American character in the 2022 election, not changing much socially or politically. After that, whether Christian nationalism misrepresents Jesus as Jonathan Lehman supposes. After that, if Christian nationalism misrepresents Jesus, so do all other institutions called Christian. Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock and who Catholic integralists Blame liberalism on Reformation Day, transgenderism, unmarried women, and Generation Z. 
hating your own country may be just as bad as loving it too much, which I actually, I, I liked that episode personally. And looking back on it, like even just the title encapsulates the big idea I was trying to communicate in that episode. Namely, that we shouldn't over-spiritualize dogging on uh, the United States. Let's not over-spiritualize uh, being patriotic because, you know, you, you can maybe love it too much in the sense, and I explain what I mean by that, in the sense of not being willing to point out when it's wrong, when it needs correction. You know, just like a father who doesn't discipline his child hates his son, but any father who loves his son is going to discipline him. It's just like that with, with regards to love of country. Too much, so-called, actually is just as bad as hating it and wanting it to be destroyed. The outcome is going to be the same. Uh, three things that are too wonderful for Joe Rogan. Four, he does not understand. That's another one. I was really pleased with the title, if I may say so. I mean, I just, you know, there's some some of these where I'm like, oh, yeah, I should have worked on that a little bit longer. <laughs> uh, others of these, like that one, I, I'm like, yeah, that was good work. I like that. <laughs> After that, what is Christian unity? That one was actually published back in September. What is Christian unity? I was thinking a lot about ecumenicism. Next up, Christian universalism and whether hell is eternal conscious torment. So those are the top 10 or uh, I guess bottom 10. And the top 10 least popular or bottom 10 most popular, depending on how you want to look at it, <laughs> uh, episodes. Uh, on average, one hour, one minute long. By contrast, I'll tell you, the 10 most popular, I think some people would expect or guess the 10 most popular probably are shorter. No, no. Au contraire, mes amis. Actually, on average, the 10 most popular episodes of the last 100 were on average, again, one hour, seven minutes, 13 seconds long. Now, I should be clear. I should uh, point out part of what pulls that average up is an episode I did about Doug Wilson, which was two and a half hours long nearly. So that definitely skews the results. But that is to say, even the two and a half hour long episode about Doug Wilson was one of the most played. Now, how many people made it all the way through from beginning to end? I don't know. But it's kind of like, in my way of thinking, listening to Joe Rogan and Matt Walsh talk back and forth about what is a woman, what is a marriage, what is a man. That's a three-hour-long episode. Yes, I understand the format's different, but it's a three-hour episode. I didn't listen to it all in one swing. However interested I was, I had to break it up, but I did make it all the way through. And even when I didn't, even if I hadn't, right, even if I hadn't listened to it all the way through, I still would have derived a benefit from listening to as much of it as I did. And so also, I think, with my content that I'm putting out. But I digress. In order from most popular, most listened to, to 10th, I guess, from the first place to the 10th place in most listened to episodes. Number one was Simple Man Learned Skinnered at a Biblical Word Study. That one actually was a lot of fun to, to do. Talking about the song, Simple Man. Is it good, right? Is this wise? Is this good advice to a young man, or should more be said? 
Go back and check that one out. That was episode 424, published July 5th. Next up was the Everlasting Man review, the review of G.K. Chesterton's book, The Everlasting Man, July 1st. After that was uh, a kind of combination of talking about Christian metal, so hard, heavy Christian rock, and also a book review of The Whole Christ by Sinclair Ferguson. That one piqued people's interest, it seemed. How do these two things go together? Uh, Well, you should go back and listen and find out, apparently. Next up was Answering Protestia and David Morell, Talking Shop, then Theology, Religion, Worldview, and Dominion, What to Make of the Controversial Doug Wilson, What My Wife's Knee Surgery Taught Us About Pain and Suffering, Pessimism Defined, and Martin Lloyd-Jones on Political Divisions Among Christians, A.D. Robles on J.D. Hall, and also John Harris weighs in on J.D. Hall's situation. On average, these ones were published July 13th. So there's a three-month difference from July to October. Also, interestingly, over the course of three months, we went from talking more in-depth about theology and some controversial pastors and critics and book reviews to talking more about ideological labels, especially this one, Christian nationalism and the political trends surrounding the midterm elections. I think that could be a factor besides just things needing to be out there a certain length of time before they get picked up. I think that also could be a factor, what we were talking about, what the subject typically was or the range of subjects was in the most popular over the course of uh, July, especially versus, you know, what were the topics uh, more recently? Let's say on average a month ago. Uh, Also too, it's interesting average length of podcast. It doesn't seem to be a factor. The highlights are actually almost three times as popular as the lowlights, but the most popular episodes are on average 10% longer. You know, I had two episodes over two hours long, one about Doug Wilson. The other one was about the Montana Free Press expose that was written about Jordan Hall's situation. Those were my longest podcast episodes to date by a long shot, but it doesn't seem like listenership went down. I mean, you, you, you might not have listened to them or you might not have made it all the way through, but I'm just looking at the numbers and it doesn't seem like the length scared folks off. And I think that has a lot to do with what the subject matter was, what the topics were. Also too, you know, it's funny, there were four times as many listens when I talked about Leonard Skinner's song, Simple Man, four times as many compared to talking about Bannockburn and the Southern Poverty Law Center polling. Now that's interesting, right? That's interesting. What does it mean? Does it mean I'm going to all of a sudden flatter you all and talk about classic rock, Southern rock, pop songs, doing you know biblical word studies on their premises? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that would be fun to do a little bit more of, but I'm not going to do it unless I'm enjoying it. Sorry. <laughs> if you enjoy it, I'll see if I can enjoy it as well. And then we can all enjoy it. But uh, it is curious. It's It's curious that on the one hand, there's a, a combination of topics that could be interesting, and yet it is not close, right? It's a factor of four to one, the difference between how much 
play goes into one episode versus another. That's really interesting to me. Also, too, I notice there were a lot more individual personal names that cropped up in the most popular episodes. I mentioned Leonard Skinner, G.K. Chesterton, Sinclair Ferguson, David Morrill, Doug Wilson, Martin Lloyd-Jones, A.D. Robles, John Harris, J.D. Hall. Not everybody knows all those names, but a lot of folks know one or more of those names. And that's curious. There seems to be something about focusing on a particular character that highlights or makes more interesting or engaging or helps to focus the exploration of more general truths and principles. That's, that is interesting. It's an interesting takeaway. By contrast, my least popular episodes, I'm talking about Christian nationalism, Christian unity, Christian universalism, the election. Yes, there are some personal names that crop up, but not as many, and they're not necessarily as well-known, with the exception of Joe Rogan, of course. I mentioned Jonathan Lehman, Herschel Walker, Raphael Warnock. Yes, all these guys are known by somebody, but they're much less well-known, especially in relation to this question of theology, ecclesiology, Christian political philosophy. Also, too, again, I I know I've said this already, but I'll just point it out again. There's a three-month difference on average between the top and bottom 10%, which is to say from July to October, I think a lot of us were in a more summertime cares and concerns mindset. And then we went from that, I know I did, to either and by turn (laughs) wanting uh, deep dive into election news and analysis and politics and or desperately wanting to talk about anything but the election. Let's just get this over with so we can move on with life, find out what the new normal is, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, it was just speaking on a more personal note. What all has transpired over the last 100 episodes that has affected me personally? I'll be honest with you. The situation with Jordan Hall in Sydney, Montana, his losing his pastorate, all of the drama about what his church was and was not being above board about and telling people honestly or telling them fully. The response from Protestia, honestly, the response from my cousin Tim, who's now joined Protestia, very, very difficult, very stressful, very upsetting. And it also felt like it dragged on for quite quite a long time, honestly. There was also a bit of controversy closer to home here surrounding a certain book, Gentle and Lowly. Uh, I really had problems with the way that that book frames my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the way that it frames, to my way of thinking, the Christian life, and really what men should be aspiring to if they will be good Christians. That book was very, very troubling to me, very upsetting. Also, talking about the concerns that I had, the objections that I had, was very upsetting. Right? It was. It, there was a lot of fear on my part and a lot of worry that my saying, hey, there are problems with what Dane Ortland is saying here and how he's saying it, more to the point. I was so worried that that was going to not be received well. And I don't think that it was received well by everybody. I'm not under any illusions that everybody just, you know, either loved it that I objected or shrugged. But it was a very upsetting uh, possibility that 
my saying, hey, this popular book that a bunch of people are saying they've been so helped by and they love and they recommend, I hate it. I hate it, and I think it's bad, and I think it's dangerous, and I think you're missing the problems here. I think you're, you're I think you're missing important details and meta narratives. That was difficult. It was difficult for me to bring myself to say that and to risk upsetting folk, uh, and, you know, and, and looking like a jerk. <laughs> uh, but I did it anyway. I guess I, you know, I. There was just no way around it. I, I couldn't in good conscience not. That was the conclusion of the matter. But still, I, I note. I note in passing the Jordan Hall situation and also the gentle and lowly problem, as I saw it, very weighing, very burdening. Uh, then also, too, I, you know, I came across, or my wife did, an extended list of scandals, a timeline of scandals concerning Moscow, Idaho, pastor, controversial pastor Doug Wilson, uh, who I've liked very much in recent years. Uh, you know, that list, that timeline of scandals concerning Doug Wilson, especially in conjunction with everything that has happened over the past 100 episodes with regards to J.D. Hall, over the past several years with regards to J.D. Hall, that was also, that was disappointing. It was painful to read. Whether they're true or they're not, it's just painful. It's, it's painful if these are true accusations about somebody that you, you've admired from a distance it's also painful if they're false accusations and people are capable of making those kinds of ugly uh, lies stick and hurt someone. You know, whether it's either of those scenarios or some combination of the two, it's just, it's a painful thing. And I, in particular, really grappled with it because Doug Wilson is one I've recommended or I've referred people to or I've spoken well of. And I, I don't want to be guilty of the very same thing that I criticize folks who've platformed J.D. Hall for doing. Uh, I, I don't want to do the exact same thing where as long as it's somebody I like, I turn a blind eye to uh, allegations, concerning allegations of impropriety or abuse of power, what have you. Uh, in, in other news, you know, aside from controversial pastors and authors, books, uh, my mother survived Hurricane Ian at her home in Fort Myers, Florida. And that was... That was intense. There's no two ways about it. That was a really intense couple of weeks, three, four weeks. Obviously, there's a little bit of PTSD there, but she has since moved to Millican, Colorado. That's a change of pace. That's different. And uh, I, you know, there's no getting around that having an effect, having an impact on the way I work, the way I interact, the way I podcast, how often. It, there, there's just something about uh, how that all went down that has to be reckoned with and and not necessarily all for an audience, if that makes sense. Also to Lawrence and my eldest two sons started classes at Ames, a local community college here in Colorado. That was a big thing. That's been a big thing. It's still a big thing that we have a 15-year-old and a 14-year-old son who are taking community college classes and doing well. And, you know, they're uh, you know, hovering back and forth, depending on the assignment, um, you know, between a B plus and an A, which is good, right? Their first time in that kind of a setting, they're doing well. But it's definitely been a wake up for Lauren and I that, whoa, wait a second, wait a second. How is this, you know, the circumstance? 
right? And not just one, but both of our oldest sons, two of our oldest sons are doing this thing, right? When did that happen? Uh, Also, another big change, I changed jobs here recently. I switched from working a seven and seven schedule for the last year, doing the systems integration thing, back to a Monday through Friday schedule. I went from doing SCADA support type work to being a controls programmer. And that's different, right? That's different. Given that I'm doing this controls programming work now, my perspective changes. My schedule has changed. So therefore, my availability to podcast has changed. What you might find, and this is where I've got to wrap it up, I suppose, because speaking of controls programming work, I've got to go do some controls programming work. What you might find in the next 100 episodes is that I am podcasting less often. I may not be releasing episodes at the pace that I was over the past year or even over the past a few years. I may not be podcasting as much. I don't know. Lord willing, we live and do this or that. But that's okay, right? That's okay. These things ebb and they flow and they change. And sometimes we don't expect that they're going to change the way that they do. Sometimes they change better than we expected. Sometimes they change not as well in some ways as we were hoping. But the good Lord is still good. There's still work to be done. There's productive, profitable, fruitful work to be done. And we need to be about that. We need to get to it. And also we need to anticipate that there's a reward. In all toil, there is a profit. But mere talk tends only to poverty. Far be it from me to give up on, to miss out on, profitable toil in favor of mere talk. And far be it from us, right? If we're going to be fatalistic or if we're going to say, ah, you know, everything's great, everything's hunky-dory, it's going to be just fine, you'll see. We have work to do either way. And we should hope, we should pray that the Lord would make it known to us what work is good for us to be doing, what work is profitable and beneficial and that we would not grow weary in doing it. That should be our hope and our prayer, regardless of what's going on around us, right? It's a confidence-boosting thing, and it's a sobering thing, and it's a humbling thing that the maker of the universe, the creator of all that is, put us here on purpose, not accidentally, not for no reason, not to sit on our thumbs, and also that the Lord knew that this would be the way that it is right now. And it only happens, it only is the way that it is right now with his say-so. So then we should ask him, what does he say we should be about for doing, saying, involved in, pulling back from, in some cases, reinvesting, recommitting, doubling down on in other cases. But like I said, I got to run. That's all the time I've got for this episode Stay tuned. Do hit subscribe. The next 100 episodes, I think, are going to be no less interesting, no less interesting than the last 100. The next 100, I anticipate, might be less often, but I think we're going to be talking here soon about Trump's announced third run for president. And I really want to delve into an analysis of the choice that may be put in front of us Uh, DeSantis hasn't announced a run yet, but I think he will. Everybody thinks he will. If he doesn't, it'll be a huge surprise. But I want to talk about the choice that we might have 
if both DeSantis and Trump are options for the Republicans. Everybody's got an opinion. So do I. <laughs> so you, you will hear mine coming up soon, and in particular, in particular from the standpoint of wanting to submit my thinking, my way of relating, my way of life to the Most High God. How does that factor into all of this? You'll find out. Hit subscribe. Tune in. Stay tuned. Check it out. Feel free also. Go back on uh, the previous 100 episodes. Maybe check out some of those. If they weren't as well listened to because you missed them, or if some of those that uh, were the most popular you didn't catch, by all means, uh, I mean, they're still out there. You can go listen to them now if you want to. Uh, If I'm not recording as often in this next season or the current season of life that I've just transitioned into, well then, hey, there's 500 episodes now, right? This is the 500th. There's 500 episodes for you to go back through. Hopefully they have staying power, (laughs) even if you're listening to them months and months later. Uh, But in any event, I really do have to run. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.